This is the Passive Real Estate Podcast, the premier podcast for passive real estate investors. Matt Jones interviews experienced passive investors who share their industry secrets and active investors who show you different ways to invest passively. Welcome back. I'm Matt Jones. And today on the Passive Real Estate Podcast, I welcome Jerry Miller. Jerry has been a real estate investor for 18 years, started as a single family buy and hold, then flipper. Then he moved to multifamily, first as an LP, now as a GP. Jerry, welcome to the program. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Matt. Good to see you again. Yeah. Uh, what else would you like the audience to know about yourself? Um, well, as a, as a real estate investor, I wanted to share a little bit of my own experience and see what might resonate for folks looking in. It's, it's a vast and deep ocean. So getting started is always the hard part. Uh, and so I just thought I'd share a little bit of my own experience and let folks decide what they might be interested in. And then we can, we can dig in from there. Yeah. How'd you get started with real estate investing? Cool. Uh, 18 years ago, I bought my first single family home with my brother-in-law. We both paid cash because we didn't know about banks making loans to investment properties. And we just sat on it. We we managed it ourselves. It gave us a little bit of property experience. And we didn't do anything for easily 10, 12 years. I eventually bought him out as I had a little bit more cash. And then I started buying more and more single family homes. And I really thought my initial goal was that I buy and own five or 10. Uh, well, I hit 10 about five years ago and I kept going, but uh, as I've grown in my single family home ownership, I discovered single or uh, multifamily syndications uh, as a limited partner. And, you know, whenever somebody's paying you 15 or 18% return, then, you know, they're making more. And it intrigued me that there was that kind of a return at scale. And so I really dug into to understand how general partners make money. And that's eventually what led me on my path to becoming a general partner myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So you're are, are you um, active now or passive or, or a bit of both? Uh, great question. So let's back up a little bit. I still have a full-time IT day job. I'm a consultant. Uh, I have a pretty demanding day job, but I do consider that as I'm making the move from limited partner to general partner, that I basically have two full-time jobs. Being a general partner is not a light thing. It's not a once in a while thing. You need to commit and you need to be available for it. You need to be available nine to five to talk to bankers and other people that work banker hours. Uh, and so being a general partner is like signing up for two full-time jobs while you're making the transition. So I'm in that transition of doing both right now. That sounds busy. It is. And what kind of deals do you invest in now? Uh, so as a, uh, so this is where it, I have to blur the line with, with passive and active. Uh, I still have, uh, just last month I bought eight single family condos in Milwaukee. That's part of my passive income as a as a single family home uh, investor. Uh, I'm slowly growing that passive income as part of my my total income where I can eventually replace my my daytime job. Um, and in that case, I actually consider those passive investments because I have management companies to manage my portfolios of single family homes. They're in two different states. And so I define passive investing as something that you do for less than an hour a month and does not interrupt your day job. I, I actually hear a fair number of folks on social media talking about how owning single family home you know, rentals is passive. With all due respect, I don't consider that passive. I don't consider if you're managing a property yourself and your tenant calls in the middle of, the, of your day job and you know there's some sort of urgent problem and you've got to drop everything and go take care of that. That is not passive to me. Passive is 
you know, you get a text from your property manager saying, Hey, heads up, you know, there's a, there's a big plumbing leak. I'm get I'm on it, but I just wanted you to know about it. And you read the text and you're aware that, okay, somewhere I'm going to have a bill to pay. Um, and so I don't, I don't see some of the things that folks are pitching as passive real estate investing as truly passive by that limited time and interruption definition. Yeah. There's certainly a gradient I would say in between passive to active and, um, uh... Uh, you know, if you're fixing the toilets, like you say, you're definitely not passive. That's right. That's right. Uh, and so you asked, what kind of deals am I investing in? I'm going to continue to invest in uh, single family homes, but I'm not letting it take up a lot of my time. I know the two markets where I have houses now. So I know what I know what the rents are. I know what the rates of returns are. I, I know what I'm looking for. Uh, I usually pay wholesalers to find the property. So I know I'm not necessarily getting the best deal, but I'm getting a reasonable deal. And so that's part of what I consider to be a more passive position in what is normally an active investor, if that makes sense. Lim li limiting, you know, limiting my time and being able to focus on what I'm trying to do. On the on the true active side, it's really the new uh, deals that I'm doing as a general partner. So as a general partner, I've worked with two different uh, syndicators, uh, one that's based out of Charlotte, North Carolina, the other one's based out of Dallas, uh, doing two totally different things. The one is typically doing value add projects uh, in South and North Carolina, and I've helped raise some capital. I've been the, the earnest money on the team. Uh, I've helped with, with some of the asset strategy. Typically, we talk a lot about what are we going to do? you know, with a particular project and, and, you know, we get an idea of what kind of number are we trying to raise? And then we kind of chat about, okay, who's going to raise what to get a sense of, you know, how much total do we need to put together to make this deal successful? In uh, that particular, the North, North Carolina group, I, what was really such a great alignment is they're looking to do bigger deals. So they need to bring in more investors and they had sort of plateaued on the amount of, of dollars that they could actually raise in any given, you know, year. Uh, and so I'm part of adding to their capital raise total dollars. And what sort of big deals are you guys focused on? Uh, pretty much value add. Uh, so we've done mostly class B and class C uh, value add multifamily in uh, either outside the Charlotte market uh, or some of the, like the northern South Carolina area is really like the greater Charlotte market for folks that maybe aren't familiar with the geography there. Um They've got had a couple of deals in like the Winston Salem market, which is sort of a secondary market in 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 uh, North Carolina, and so it's really the value add is sort of their sweet spot. They're they're just now starting to evaluate some new development deals. They onboarded a new team member that's got a lot of development experience, and so uh, he kind of brings to the table the ability to evaluate and, and manage the risk associated with those you know raw land deals. Okay, and what size of multifamily are these? Typically, like the $10 million play. Uh, in fact, because we partnered together, we actually took down a, a $25 million uh, deal together because I was able to bring in a little bit of capital for that deal that you know they obviously didn't have access to. Gotcha. Um, and then uh, what sort of returns can your investors expect from these kind of deals? Uh, wow. So loaded question. I mean, right. So when we look at a, a, a multifamily syndication value add, I mean, we're typically anywhere from about 18 to 20% as a, as a uh, average annual return, but that's all, you know, that's mostly back end, right? Obviously we got to talk about the two, the cash on cash return versus the, you know, the average rate of return. 
The cash on cash is what we're going to return to our investors on typically a quarterly basis. That has been typically six or seven percent. Uh, that was last year. Uh, you know, as we're running the numbers on deals right now, we're typically looking at more like a 5% return, but that's just the nature of the the increase in the interest rates are definitely, you know, squeezing the, the net income and squeezing the ability to pay the investors back sooner. Uh, but then obviously the the big money is in the, the the typical three to five year sale down the road as we execute our asset strategy, you know, grow rent, decrease expenses, increase the net operating income. That's where we really see the the big payday at that at that uh, you know that exit at the end. Yep, by increasing the uh, net operating income, you essentially force the appreciation in there, regardless of what the rest of the market is doing. That that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And uh, why are you focused on value add multifamily right now? Um, well, that's been to to be honest. As I as I work with this uh, general partner team, we, we we've got a guy who who all he does is look at new deals. So he's he's looking at every deal that comes comes across that that meets they're pretty wide actual parameters. Um, he used to be a commercial broker, so he's got a lot of contacts. He's got a lot of off-market deals, and he's he's just a, a really good guy to be aware of uh, what's going on in the marketplace, what's coming out, you know, what what the what the temperature is, so to speak. And so uh, we would look at a new development deal, but I would say most of his contacts are in the place of you know property managers, for example, that are currently serving an existing property. You know, he's going to hear about that in some cases before it even goes on the market. So it's really his contacts that are in that space. That's why we're hearing about the value add opportunities. And so that's where we're looking at, is this something we're interested in or not? You know, is this in a market that we like? Is the is the population expected to increase? Is the rent increasing? Those types of factors is sort of so sort of key as to what we're we're looking for. Yeah, that inside information all, you know, certainly gives you an advantage when you're looking at properties. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you've got a relationship with the property manager, you know, you're getting real information, right? There's the seller is going to put the the best case forward, but the property manager's got the actual, here's what the rent performance actually is. You know, here's what the lease loss is. All of the, all of the details that are sometimes the rosy red version by the seller, the property manager has the, the actual, you know, T12, the, the real numbers, understands what's going on in the marketplace is there is there some sort of negative influence going on at the time they're just a lot closer to the engine that's generating that revenue good good and how did you get connected with this group of people that you're in the gp with i invested with them my first uh limited partner investment was with exponential equity out of charlotte north carolina great bunch of guys uh i actually knew uh one of the principals from a previous job, a consulting job that we did together a few years ago. And I saw a LinkedIn post one day that he was doing something with real estate. So I had to call him up and say, hey, what are you doing with real estate? And that began a conversation and really sort of cemented a friendship where um, they've got a very solid team. I evaluated that first limited partner uh, opportunity and really peppered him with a whole bunch of questions. And finally, he said, look, just go <laughs> just go over here and 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 download this syndicated deal analyzer from this website. And, and this is how we evaluate our deals. And that's really what led me to realizing that, you know, once you understand how to value commercial real estate, that's that's one of I think one of the key tenets to becoming a general partner. And it was certainly the motivation to want to become a general partner. Mm -hmm. And how did you make that transition from LP to GP? So great question. Um, 
really just literally going to real estate conferences, learning as much as I can, understanding what a GP really does. It's not this part-time thing that people do once in a while. It, you know, it's like, like, like a housewife can be a part-time realtor and that might be okay. And, 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 you know, she might be really good at that, but it, you can't do the same thing as a GP. You don't accidentally become a GP. It is a full-time, in my opinion, commitment that needs lots of, lots of training. So in my case, I, I went to a couple of real estate conferences. I got interested in it. I decided to join a mentorship, uh, the Michael Blanc mentorship, uh, that, uh, they they do a great job of teaching you all of the things that you need to know. And then by understanding all of those things, you can decide what do you want to focus in? Uh, you know, one of the things that I see as a limited partner is you, it, like like an ocean, you just sort of skim along the top. You, you, you know, you want diversity. You want to have, you know, investments in different markets, different asset classes, maybe with different syndicators. And that's how you're going to help diversify some of your risk. As a general partner, you actually need to do the opposite. You need to be an expert. You need to go incredibly deep in one of, I would say, four major areas, either finding the deals, evaluating the deals, funding the deals, or managing the deals. And, and, and the way that I break that down is, you know, typically your, your, commercial, uh, your commercial brokers are really great at finding deals. So if they used to be a commercial broker and now they're going to be on the GP team, they're going to leverage their same you know, resources, their same connections to find deals potentially off market. You know, they've looked at 100 deals, so they're going to know when a good one comes along because they're going to know what are the characteristics of a good deal versus a, bit, a bad deal. Then we look at funding or uh, I'm sorry, we look at analyzing the deals. Typically on GP teams, I see uh, guys or gals that were in, uh, maybe they were underwriters at a major bank or they were, I mean, they've basically the back office people that are evaluating, should we loan money to this group, you know, for this deal? So again, they're leveraging skills that they've already had and they can see red flags. Maybe they've got a sister property that's literally across the street from one that they're buying. So they know what the cost per door is for the water bills or the taxes or whatever some of these other you know detailed line items. You need to go from the macro of, hey, there's you know X number of dollars of net income on this deal all the way down to per door. I know that this is what I expect for the insurance price. This is what I expect for taxes. This is what I expect for utilities. I can pull on this lever and move the utilities to the tenant. Like These are all things that a good operator is going to be able to to determine and eventually drive that net income. Yeah. And then uh, what is your role with the general partnership? So it's typically been capital raise. Um, I've got some expertise in some of the markets where my single family homes are invested. So we've actually talked about taking down a multifamily uh, deal in, in one of those uh, two or three markets. Uh, we haven't found the right deal yet. The the the, the cap rates were just too low for um, you know to to make anything pencil out. But we're continuing to look together to see how we might work together. Uh, I do have some some contacts in in the spaces where my multifamily is. Uh, my property manager will, will occasionally share, "Hey, this apartment complex is for sale. Are you interested?" So I've got a couple of very limited off market sources. And those I leverage those sources. I let them know, yes, I'm pretty much interested. Send me send me everything you hear about, and then at least look at it and to kind of do the sort of the ten minute evaluation. You know, at a macro level, does this thing look like it pencils? A lot of deals don't. So the ones that do, then you dig in and spend a little bit more time in that underwriting model to see if it's something you you know that that you might be interested in. Sure. 
And how can a passive investor determine whether or not you and your group are a good match for what they're looking for with a syndication? Uh, I think that's a really good question, Matt. And I think it really comes down to if you are a limited partner, you need to have you know a basic understanding of the of the market, what what asset classes you might be interested in. There's pros and cons, I think, of multifamily, self-storage, industrial, there's retail, there's mixed use. Each one of those kind of has some pros and cons and you sort of need to line up with, okay, what do you want to do? Um, I think you also need to be thinking about, is this, is this, uh, you know, is this money that you're investing in with your, your 401k and therefore you don't mind that this is going to be a liquid because you're more than five years from retirement? Or is this, is this cash that you're expecting to live on, you know, next year? There's, there's, there's so many different risk reward conversations that need to happen that I think at the end of the day, the limited partner needs to do a fair bit of due diligence about syndications as a whole. And then they need to take the time to get to know the various syndicators out there, make sure that they're an experienced team. Have they done these deals before? And really just spend time learning the, the kinds of questions that the limited partner should be asking uh, should be directly related to you know how, how much experience that general partner team has. And really the more the more experience they have, the more that the limited partner can get educated within that particular type of investment. Yeah, that makes sense. And how can a you know passive investor determine whether or not a you know syndication sponsor is going to do a good job with a particular deal? Uh, well, again, I think it goes back to vetting them. I think as a limited partner, I would say that there's probably four things, four things at a macro level that the LP needs to be solid on before you invest, you know, 50 or $100,000, I would say the market, I would say um, data, and I'll come back to defining what data is, math, and then knowing your GP team. And so let me break down each one of those four. The market, you, you, need, to, you need to understand the strengths and weaknesses of say multifamily versus self-storage, uh, building a brand new development versus value adding an existing one. There's a lot of pros and cons in just those four those four sectors, and and I think the limited partner needs to understand what those benefits are. You know how long the money is going to be in use for. Data, I think at a macro level, you need to understand that I, I think there's three primary data points that that I look at, and I like I think a lot of other syndicators look at, but there's there's more than that. I think the top three are the population increase for that market, the the income uh, increasing for that you know for that sector, and and the the rent increases. Um, I think each one of those can be broken down a little a little more. The population increase is going to represent the overall demand for housing in that space. The you know increasing incomes is really going to uh, predict the people's ability to afford the rent. You know, typically we see gross income needs to be two and a half to three times the rent to you know to to be to be considered you know a a good a good threshold. I think over that people are considered you know housing challenged. And then lastly. You know, a, re a reflection of what we think the rent's going to do, in you know, in the next uh, three to five years, is uh, is certainly a linear relationship to the NOI. But I need to 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 mention that I think we're at a tipping point because at a certain point where rents reach a point where people can no longer afford, when you start hitting that three times rent, which is considered housing challenge, so three times your um, uh, your gross income is 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 you know less than three times your 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 actual rent, then you're starting to get into trouble, and you're going to start seeing people cohabitate, moving in with their you know their parents, their mom, you know their their friends, their whoever, and we we may be in that in in some of our markets right now. 
Yeah, I expect things to certainly change with real estate uh, here in the coming year and two. So we'll uh, we'll wait and see what happens and just uh, roll with it, uh, whatever may come. Uh, Matt, I, I guess I didn't finish. So I told you four Ooh. things, the market, the data, I forgot math and the knowing the GP team. So I'd say math, you need to have a basic understanding of how to calculate you know, net income. You, you you don't need to necessarily know every single line item, how much should should water cost per door in a hundred unit multifamily, but you need you need at a macro level, okay, these are my rents, these are my taxes, these are my expenses, you know, back out the 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 expenses from the revenue and what's left over is net income and, and is is that net income, is that the rosy red version? Is that the the Debbie Downer version? Like you sort of got to put on the rose colored glasses and say, okay, what is it under the best case scenario? And then put on the negative glasses. What is it under the worst case scenario? And pick this middle of the road valuation so that you can see that there are good and bad things that could happen to that number. Real estate is all about adding value to other people. An easy way to do that is to share this podcast with someone you know who wants to do more passive real estate investing. Also, subscribe and leave a review. Now, let's get back to the episode. What's a problem you've encountered with a passive investment and how was it handled? Um, well, I've had a couple of interesting ones. Uh, I'm invested in a, in a class A, I want to say it's like 240 units in Sarasota, Florida. Uh, it was hit by a hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought the I thought the general partner team did a really good job of of letting folks know um that hey, uh, you know, the the property's okay. You know, we are seeing we're we're gonna see some additional um, you know, some some lawn maintenance and some other issues. There were no real structural issues, thank God, but insurance rates went from I, I think they quadrupled when the when it came time to renew. And so they actually got really uh, aggressive and they're and they're doing some kind of Lloyd's of London deal that uh, they're not self-insured, but they significantly reduced. I think they raised their deductible and did some other things because the insurance just got very cost prohibitive overnight uh, in the Florida market. Um, and so I think it's worth saying that it's not a general partner's job to stop bad things from happening. It's their job to react intelligently when bad things happen. Um, I, I was part of another limited partnership where the, uh, the property management was really just not, you know, they were taking too long to turn the units. They weren't managing the, the, um, uh, you know, the rents, uh, they, they, they were doing a lot of things poorly. And at the end of the day, the, the, um, general partner team had to replace the property manager. That's a really big deal for a 250 unit complex. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it it took probably two months to onboard that new property manager and get them up to speed and, you know, go after some of the, uh, the evictions that had, you know, the, some of the, some of the folks had stopped paying. And so, you know, things happen and you try and stay on top of your, your people as best you can. But at the end of the day, sometimes you have to make those decisions to, you know, make a change. Yep. Very true. All right. Are you ready for a speed round? I'm ready for speed round. What's your favorite part about passive real estate investing? Um, well, I, I, it's got to be making money, but I like the thrill of the chase. I like, you know, finding a house that is uh, maybe it's properly valued, but I've got an idea that's really going to grow the value and then executing in that and then actually having it come to fruition. 
that's that's kind of a cool thing. And then at the end of the day, I'm I'm a buy and hold guy with my single family portfolio, and eventually there'll be enough passive income there to replace my day job. And what do you know now about passive real estate investing that you wish you knew when you first got started? Um, I wish I better understood multifamily 10 years ago because I feel like I just I I didn't set my goals big enough. I think when I started off, I thought having five or 10 rental houses would be enough. And you know, that together with my 401k, I'd have a comfortable retirement. Now I feel like my comfortable retirement could happen when I, you know, when I hit my freedom number, when I when I replace my net expenses with my real estate proceeds, then that's retirement. I can do what I want when I want. So I think knowing that sooner and understanding how to make money in real estate besides just single family homes uh, would have been helpful. What's a book that you can recommend to other investors? Um, I read a lot of books, but I feel like Rich Dad, Poor Dad uh, really planted the idea that I could be a real estate investor ooh, back in maybe the late 90s. And so for somebody that's never read a book, I would say you need to read that. For somebody that's still trying to figure out the sea of books to read, I would almost go back and tell you to read it again. And if you're an extremely experienced investor, then you probably have already read 10 books and you're now arguing with me about what book they should read. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, how can our listeners get in contact with you if they want to learn more about what you have going on? Absolutely. So my website, uh, largogroup2011.com. Yes, I started Largo Group in 2011. Somebody already had the largogroup.com uh, domain, so I needed to make it unique. Um, if you go there and, and enter your website, I'll be glad to share. I, I created an ebook on uh, how to get started in real estate for both passive and um, active investing. Uh, it, it's really the top topics that I, I, I talk to a lot of investors and they want to know, you know, what's the best investment or what's the best thing to do? And there is no best. You got to spend a little bit of time understanding what's out there and then aligning your risk reward profile with those opportunities and then go invest in those areas, in, in my opinion. And so that's really what that ebook is designed to address. So if they want to go to that website, give me your email. We'll send you that ebook. You can cancel any time. But if you don't, we'll send you some content pretty regularly that hopefully you'll find valuable. Excellent. Uh, and is there anything else you want to mention that we haven't covered yet? Um. Yeah, I, I I do. I think I think I talk to a lot of passive investors that are just not comfortable with the idea of giving up control. And I would say that's okay. If if uh, my tagline is you can as an investor you can trade your time for money, or you can trade your money for time. And what that means is if you want to be an active investor, you're trading your time to make money, and that's okay. That's what I recommend to some of the uh, some of my kids and their friends. You've probably got more time than money, and that's that's good. That's a great way to get started. You can you can go flip houses, you can wholesale, you can do different things like that. Um, but if you're a busy guy like me, you're in your fifties, you're you know you're you're not too far away from retirement. You got a day job. Then what you don't have is time. In fact, Matt, I read a stat that if you're fifty years old and you've got a hundred thousand dollars in the bank, you've got more days. I'm sorry, you've got more dollars than you've got days left on this earth. And so. 100 grand isn't a real big number to have in your retirement account. And so I, I, I suspect a lot of your listeners are going to suddenly realize, hey, I've got more money than time. So you need to figure out how to deploy that money uh, to replace your time. And so I would say that the best thing you could do is get comfortable with the idea that you are not in, in control 
you need to make good decisions about who you place your money with, but then you need to get comfortable that they're doing what they need to be doing to make you a good return. Hey, that sums it up well. Well, thanks, Jerry. It's always great talking with you, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Matt. You take care. Subscribe to this podcast to stay updated on new episodes. Leave a review to let us know that you enjoy the content. There are tons of ways to invest in real estate that you can explore by reading Matt Jones's book called Book About Real Estate. It summarizes many top real estate books all in one. Find it on Amazon, Audible, iTunes, Google Play, or barnesandnoble.com. If you want to learn more about passive real estate investing, go to hawkwingcapital.com.